Today we are going to be talking about 2 Peter. I feel a little bit like the angel of death this semester because I am talking about the very last book for both Peter and Paul. Sorry about that. Um, for those of you that don't know, this is Peter's last book. Okay. It's telling me to give subtitles a try. I don't want to do that. Is it? Can you see that? Nope. We'll just ignore it. Okay. Um, we're going to go over the usual who, what, when, where, why. Um, it's a little bit different because it's not Paul. It's Peter this time. But, you know, same person, different, di nope, different person, same uh, so, this comes directly from 2 Peter verse 1. Uh, who wrote it? Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, there, of course, as with every book, there are people who dispute, oh, well, it says Simon Peter, but is it actually Simon Peter? Yeah, it's probably Simon Peter that wrote it. Um, so why was it written? It was written for the same reason that First Peter was written. Uh, pop quiz, who remembers why First Peter was written? Because the church had been persecuted to give them hope? Yes, so it was written to give hope. So it was written like to to what specific audience? Yes. So the church that was being persecuted. So he specifically wrote it to churches that were being persecuted in a specific area. Do we remember which area that was? The Mediterranean Basin. <laughs> yes. Given that we're pretty much exclusively talking about the Mediterranean basin, that is a very good thing. It's sort of like medieval history, the answer is always the church. Yeah. And Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. There you go. Asia Minor. Asia Minor. Ding, 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 ding. That's the answer I was looking for. So it was a circular to the seven churches of Asia Minor. So this is from Second Peter 3 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. This is how we know it is his second letter to the churches of Asia Minor. All right, next question. Can we list the seven churches of Asia Minor? About half of them are really easy because they're named, like we have a bunch of church, like places in America that have the same names, but about half of them are like really weird. So let's just, let's just shoot for four. Laodicea. Laodicea, that, that, I would count that as a, a weird one, so we're, we're off to a good start. Philadelphia. Philadelphia, that's a normal one, but yes, Philadelphia. Smyrna. Smyrna. Thessalonica. Not one, but good oh, close. Yes, Greece. That is Greece, yes. We're close. Technically, so technically it's like Turkey, modern day Turkey. Antioch. Sorry, what you. Galatia and Cappadocia. Yeah, they're similar, but not technically in Asia Minor. I think we're... 
We have one more one that you should know, and the rest are weird ones. Uh, did I hear Ephesus? That's the normal one. The other two are weird. I'm sorry. If someone said it and I missed it, that's totally on me. But let's blame the air purifier. No, the ones we're missing are Thyatira and Sardis. Oh, wait, no. I think we're also missing Pergamum. I've miscounted somewhere. Because <laughs> I counted five, but we're definitely missing three. Anyway, so we got Ephesus, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Laodicea. You know what? Maybe I counted one that wasn't actually one. Okay, but here they are. Here are the seven. So these are the seven churches of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So if you go to modern-day Turkey, these are protected by the, like, Turkey Tourism Board of whatever. There's a very official name. I don't know it, but it is protected by the government of Turkey. So if you fast forward, these are also the churches, the same churches that Revelation is written to. These are Correct. the churches that John, I mean, Paul started the church at Ephesus, and John moved to Ephesus. And these are the one. this is his circular sermon. Yes. Wrote. Yeah, so uh, you will see these again when we talk about Revelation. And the very beginning of May. Okay, where was it written? Again, same as First Peter. Do we remember where the book of First Peter was written? Antioch. Not Antioch. This is the best guess because we don't actually know first certain. Again, I'm saying we like I am a scholar. I'm not scholar suggesting. <laughs> Rome. So he doesn't call it Rome in the book. He calls it by another name. What is the what does he call Rome in First Peter? Babylon. He uses the term Babylon. So he doesn't actually say in Second Peter that he's writing from Babylon or Rome, but we can use context clues to assume that he's writing from the same place. So we're going to assume he's writing from Rome. And this is the um, verse. Whoo, y'all. I tell you what, that brain fog is still, still there. Okay, this is the verse um, from First Peter that we're talking about. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. So, as you remember from Jeff talking about First Peter, um, Babylon was sort of this metaphor for wherever people were in exile. So Bab Babylon isn't the actual Babylon. It is a metaphorical Babylon. Therefore, Rome is this metaphorical Babylon that he is in. When slash why was it written? So here we have, we looked at the text itself to figure this out. So we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 from the first chapter. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So, 
Um, Peter knows that he's about to die. So everything that he wants to say to the church, he's putting in in these in these chapters. Second Peter is a pretty short circular. It's only three chapters long. Um, you can read it fairly quickly. Um, however, it's kind of everything that he wanted to say in one last shebang. Um, and he knows it's the last. He knows it's his last letter. So uh, everything that he wants to say, he's putting in here because. He knows it's the last chance he's going to get. So, when it's at the end of his life, and why he knows it's going to be his last letter. So, when timeline actually putting a number to it gets a little trickier. So, let's look at the timeline of Peter's life. So, just like with Paul, all of these are like best guess circa because we're using historical records to sort of pinpoint times, but like at no point where they're like, it's 1 BC, I'm born. Um, so we're guessing that Peter was born in 1 BC. Um, we're also guessing that based on the fact that um, uh, ancient Hebrew men were married about age 15 and we know that Jesus called him from when, while he was fishing at 30 AD. Those uh, 16 years, he was married, he became a father, he was living with his mother-in-law, he was a fisherman. Um, so we know all of these things. So from 30 to 33 was when Jesus had his ministry, right? And so he was one of um, one of the 12 apostles and then also one of Jesus's like very special apostles, right? Who were the special three apostles when it comes to like the three people that Jesus was like, hey, three apostles, come with me. Peter, James, and John, yes. So we're talking about Peter. This is the Peter that we're talking about here. Um, so what is when... Jesus spoke to Peter. What is the one thing that Jesus said to Peter? He said, you are the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. Right. And so we're actually seeing when the early church gets built, that Peter is, in fact, that rock upon which it gets built. So 33, after Jesus gets crucified and ascends into heaven, he actually becomes that leader of the early church. And so between 33 and 48... Acts 1 through 12 sort of talks about all the ways that Peter um, acts, acts in the early church, right? Acts. Um, so I, because we've already talked about Acts, I'm not going to specifically go through what gets talked about, but highly recommend that you revisit Acts 1 through 12. Um, in 48, we have the Council of Jerusalem. Quick refresher, who in one sentence can talk about Remind us what happened at the Council of Jerusalem. Deciding what to do with Gentile believers. Yes. Do, what, what do they need to do? Do they need to become like Jews or not? Yes. So before we had a lot of, I say we again, before a lot of Christians were Jews who had converted to Christianity, so they were following kosher rules. They had already been circumcised, things like that. But when you had people who were Gentiles, 
they didn't believe things like that. They didn't follow things like that. So what do you do with people like that? What, what Jewish rules need to be followed as Christians? So that was what the Council of Jerusalem um, <coughs> dealt with. So after 48 AD, it's kind of a big question mark. We really don't know what happens to Peter. Um, and so you'll sort of see between 48 and 64, it's just a big blank space. Um, some scholars believe that the person that wrote Luke Acts actually meant to write a third book um, because Acts sort of drops off when it comes to Peter. We really don't know. Um, so there's a blank space. Um, you compare that with Paul, we know like everything that happened to Paul, right? We know every single missionary journey he went on. We know every single like uh, city he went to and how long he stayed there, right? We have other historical documents that we can compare to to like verify independently. But with Peter, no idea. So what we do know is basically what the Catholic Church has like dug up and done lots of research on. So um, around 64 AD, uh, common belief is that Peter gets martyred, is martyred by Nero in the same time and for the same reasons that Paul was martyred by Nero, which, again, we don't know for certain, but some popular theories are for why Paul was murdered by Nero. Do we remember why Paul was murdered? Theories. Some popular theories. That the Christians set the fire. <clears throat> yes. So Rome burned, and <clears throat> Nero was blaming the Christians. So that could possibly be a reason why, why Peter was also killed. Paul was killed, Peter was killed. And in the same vein, like, Christians became the scapegoat for literally everything. So, Paul could have been killed for that reason, and Peter could have been killed for that reason. So, um, we believe that Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. Peter was a Jew, therefore he was crucified. Um, he was crucified... Upside down is what um, tradition what tradition says. So, and he lived for two days. Oh golly! Preaching upside down tradition. <laughs> Did not come across that. <laughs> oh, you know what? I got ahead of myself. I really, I really just wanted to keep this very confused-looking man in. This is the same guy I used for my Paul. Uh, okay, so. Some Peter trivia for you all. Um, what city was Peter born in? Bethsaida. Bethsaida, that's right. In what city did Peter meet Jesus? I'm going, I'm going with Capernaum. Capernaum, that's right. Uh, what? Which is one mile from Bethsaida. Oh, there you go. <laughs> He was a country boy. You don't, don't, apple doesn't fall far from a tree. That doesn't actually work as far as geography goes. <laughs> anyway, okay, so what are the two other names that Peter had? Cephas. Cephas. Simon. And Simon, yes. So, uh, Shimon is technically what it is, and, and, uh, and, and I'm probably butchering that because I'm not a... I don't speak Hebrew, but 
And so when you Greekify that, that's probably not the right word for that, it becomes Simon. And then Peter, Petrus, all of that means rock, right? So that's where we come up with Peter. And um, Cephas or Cephas means that as well. All right, so who was Peter's brother? Andrew. That's right. What language did Peter speak? Hebrew. Hebrew and Aramaic. And Aramaic, yes. Uh, what do we know about Peter from the Gospels? So there's going to be like about 18 billion stories, so just start throwing them out at me. The rooster crows. Yep, the rooster crows. Impulsive. Yes, he is impulsive. He asked a lot of questions. Asked a lot of questions. His mouth was shaped like a foot. <laughs> there we go. I did not remember that from the Gospels. <laughs> Josh said that last week. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. <coughs> what else do we know about Peter? Sorry, what was that? He walked on water. Not successfully for very long, but he did. <coughs> That's true. <laughs> Here's one of the here's a, a, one of the fun ones. If you remember, if you saw the picture last week of that boat, mm-hmm. that's yeah. a parion. It, in Greek, it's a parion, which is diminutive. It means it's a small boat. And that's what they used on the Sea of Galilee. There's a passage that talks about that he was in the boat, naked, with other apostles, and then he put when he saw Jesus coming, he put his cloak on and tried to walk, but he was flipping naked in the boat. I just, I, I think that's an anomaly of scripture, because if I'm in the boat, he ain't going to be naked. That's true. <laughs> yes, so in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cut the ear off of the Roman when they came to arrest Jesus. Sorry, what? He was there with the transfiguration. Yes, he watched the transfiguration. And that's something that we'll get in today with Second Peter. Anything else in the Gospels? They had a really big catch of fish. Really big catch of fish. Yeah. That was one of the reasons he decided to follow Jesus, right? His mother-in-law was healed. Yes. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. All right, so part two, what do we know about Peter from Acts? So after Jesus ascends up to heaven, a little bit later, <clears throat> Peter takes on the role of leader of the early church. He knew his Old Testament prophecy. 
he did know his Old Testament prophecy, that's for sure. And that's another thing that we're going to get into in Second Peter. He didn't let his failures um, chain over him indefinitely. He was forgiven by Jesus, and in the beginning of Acts, he preaches boldly. Which I think is is um, very comforting for all of us to see that we can, we can have failures and still God can use us That's true. Ted Lasso says, "Be a goldfish." I mean, that's less important than Jesus. But for those of you that watch Ted Lasso, which should be everyone, be a goldfish. Hey, Oh yeah, sorry. Um, he didn't let his failures define him. He forgot it. So Peter spoke at Pentecost. He was one of the very first speakers. And um, the Holy Spirit came down and filled everyone. Did you go talk to Cornelius? Yes. He's the one who he spoke to Cornelius. <laughs> yep. He had the dream about what's playing in my thing. Ananias and Sapphira. Can anyone explain that story briefly? Like in a sentence or two? They got together to inspire a plot to the church and get ahead. <laughs> yeah. And then Jesus, and then God smoked them dead. Yes, that does seem to be a division of division of evangelicalism. Peter was very much into evangelizing the Jews, and Paul was into evangelizing the Gentiles. Um, Peter could be wishy-washy, so there is evidence. I think it's in Galatians that Peter ate with Gentiles. Then Jews got mad at him, and then, and then Peter was like, oh, never mind, I'm not going to do that anymore. And some people were like, really, Peter? That seems like a kind of lame thing to do, go back on what you were doing previously. Um, he uh, escaped from prison. Yes, he escaped from prison. <clears throat> All right, and thus wraps up Peter Trivia. So, let's compare the tones of the two swan songs. So, last time I was up here, I was talking about 2 Timothy, which was Paul's last book he ever wrote. And now I'm talking about 2 Peter, which is Peter's last book he ever wrote. Well, they weren't books at the time, they were just letters, but now they're books to us. So, um, I have just taken three random verses um, to compare. 
Um, for some reason, this one wouldn't be real spaced out, so I made it big so that it would be a large enough font for you to see. Uh, so, first, let's look at 2 Timothy. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So compare that to this uh, section from Second Peter. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So let's put on your, uh, go back to English uh, class for a second. Let's compare these two tones. What strikes you about, what is different about these two? Or do they sound exactly the same? Charles is very individualistic from his point of view and what he's experienced and what's been accomplished in and through him. Peter seems to be looking at the mega story of what God has done and is doing in the So we have Paul looking at Paul, and then we have Peter talking about like the whole of the creation. Yes. So it's not something that can be captured in just a few sentences, but um, totally, Second Timothy is very resigned. You get a sense that Paul was just tired, right? He ends it with being like, hey, Timothy, can you just bring me my cloak and my papers and stay away from Alexander? He's a jerk. Um, and you end with Second Peter being like, God's the greatest forever and ever, amen! Like, they're just very different in tone, right? Um, both of them know that they're about to die, and so you have Paul being like, I'm tired, I've just done a lot. And then you have Peter being like, I'm about to go, and so I need to tell you everything that I need to know right here and right now, because I don't have very much time left. Um... Both of these are totally valid because both of these men have like been working for years and years and years. Um, but I just think the, the difference in tone is very incredibly striking. Well, maybe one way to look at it is if Paul is tired, the, the other way is, you know, he's said before to live as Christ and to die as gain, and I kind of think that maybe he's ready for a game. Yeah, exactly. And also, at this point, Paul's been living in a, I mean, you we saw a picture of the, the prison that he had been living in. Um, it was like a dank, nasty prison. I mean, that's going to take a toll on you psychologically. So, um, I mean, his earthly spirit, I mean, there just wasn't much joy in living in, I mean, he had said that, like, most of his earthly friends had abandoned him. Like, there just wasn't much joy left on earth for him. I think you're right. He was ready to, like, move on to heaven. Um, and we, we honestly don't know anything about what Peter's situation was. Um, 
if you're Catholic, you believe that he was literally in the same prison as Paul was. But we're not Catholic, so we don't know. Um, any other any other things that strike you? Any other words that are yeah? Well, I was just say when you're thinking about the audiences um, to whom that they were in, when you look at at Paul, that individualism that was Greek, um, it, it's like what God can do in you, and He has done this, and so kind of like the follow me as I follow Christ. Like you're seeing, I'm seeing that I see He's resigned, but I think He's triumphant too. Like it, it can be done. Look at what he's done. Look at how he's led. Look at what what has been accomplished, um, and and you're continuing it. It's kind of like the, a charge. And Peter, from the Jewish context, is remember all that God has done. We're in the midst of that. It's continuing, um, and isn't it glorious to be a part of, of, of that? And so, I think the audience helps you to, to see another layer as well. That's true. That's true. And piggybacking off of that, I do think it's important that. This is just a letter to Timothy versus this is a circular that's meant to be read by many churches and by many people. So, like, this is supposed to be, like, a pump you up sort of letter. This is supposed to be, like, a, hey, my good friend. <laughs> Literally everyone has left me in the dust and it kind of stinks. This is Bring probably, me my coat. probably why the early church posthumously made Peter the first pope. That's true. Yeah. Very true. So, now that we've gone through the who, what, when, where, why's, let's talk about the book of 2 Peter. Um, so, again, 2 Peter, real short, only three chapters. Um, themes as a whole. Um, 2 Peter sort of talks about all the teachers. Sort of talks about how they're all in alignment. Specifically, he mentions Paul. And says a couple people are talking about Paul and trying to pit me against Paul. Uh, not the case. We're, we're saying the same thing. Um, and then he sort of talks about final warnings. There's a couple of false teachers and false teachings being said to, that are leading people astray. And he's saying, I'm about, to live. I'm about to be killed. I don't have lunch time. I really want you all to know these things. So before he gets into the warnings, he talks about the seven traits that one needs in order to have a defined nature. Um, Paul is much more into um, how to live a godly life, and then Peter talks about how you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, therefore you are divine in you, and therefore you need to cultivate that divinity that's already inside of you. And so um, this passage sort of talks about that. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control and self-controlled perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So, if you count them, that's seven things. Right. Um, and the big kahuna, the one that it all leads up to, is love. Right. Um, so when you take that in, when you look specifically at all the other books of the New Testament and all the other writings and words that are said about love, if you bring all of that together and like all the different types of love, 
you get like a really robust understanding of what it looks like to have a godly um, sense of love in your life. So after we talk about the seven divine traits that you need in your life, Peter talks about three warnings. Um, these are all things that are being said in the time, by, in his time, by people that are false teachers that are like spreading rumors around. Uh, the three rumors are that one, everything was made up, two, there's no final reckoning that's going to happen, and three, Jesus is not returning. And Peter claps back at all of these things. The first thing he says is, uh, he talks about in the three warnings coincide with the three chapters. So, chapter one, it was all made up. Um, in verses 12 through 21, he's basically like, look, I saw it with my own eyes. And uh, as mentioned, he knows the Old Testament prophecies really well. And so he can say, I saw the transfiguration. And I know how this fulfills Old Testament prophecies, right? Um, so he connects those dots for you in First Timothy or Second Peter, chapter one, and specifically negates the argument that this was all made up. Um, specifically, saying no, because A plus B equals C. The second warning he talks about is that some people are saying there's no final reckoning. Um, he talks about three instances in the Old Testament where people deny God's sovereignty and though it was swift destruction. Uh, the first is in Genesis chapter 6 when there are fallen angels. The second is the great flood, a.k.a. Noah. And the third is Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, in all of these situations, Peter makes sure to point out that those that are true believers, that are really God's people, he protects. But um, if you are one of those people denying God's sovereignty, swift destruction. And he makes a special point to point out that it's going to be even worse for people who say they're Christians during all of this. So if you say you're a Christian, but you're denying God's sovereignty, it's going to be even worse for you than if you were not a Christian at all. So um, he makes, he in, in specifically talks about how some people are pointing to Paul's uh, teachings in Romans and saying, uh, Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. So, <laughs> Peter's coming in real hot right here. Um, basically saying that, um, Paul is saying we are free in Christ, right? That's something that, that, that we know Paul to say. And so, people are distorting that to mean, like, you can do whatever you want because we're free in Christ. Obviously, that's a distortion of what Paul is saying. So, uh, Peter's saying, that is denying God's sovereignty. If you continue to act like that, then there will be swift destruction. Um, it will be even worse for you if you claim to be a Christian during all of this. Um, and if you claim that there is no final reckoning because you're free in Christ, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, 
that's him talking about the second warning, which is the second chapter of Second Peter. And the third chapter of Second Peter, which is the final chapter, the final book of Peter, he talks about the people that are gossiping that, well, Jesus might not even be returning. Um, he says, look, God's sense of timing is different. With the Lord, the day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I promise you that you have all heard like a million Bajillion sermons on this, so I won't uh, add, to, add to that. But um, uh, I, I think that it's important that even in the first century, Peter was saying, like, look, um, we don't understand God's timing. So... Um, now it's the year 2022 and we don't understand God's timing any more than Peter did in the year 64. And, um, I think that's really profound. And I think that Peter's words written 2000 years ago can still have a lot of effect on us today. So, um, yeah, uh, to conclude, uh, I, to end my Second Timothy, I had a poor picture of Paul getting beheaded, but pictures of Peter being crucified, I did not want to put that on the It's just not a happy way of ending this. Anyway, so instead, here's a picture of, um, this is a statue of Peter in front of St. Peter's Basilica. Um, who can tell me where St. Peter's Basilica is? The Vatican. the Vatican, which is smack dab in the middle of Rome, right? That's where the Pope hangs out. Slash lives. Does he live there? Uh, okay, good. Yes. Clearly, I'm I'm really up on my Catholicism. Uh, anyway, so this is what the Catholics think Peter looks like. Um, so if you ever go to Rome slash the Vatican, um, this statue will be here. Um, I, I think it's impactful to think about the fact that pretty much without fail, every single one of the apostles and early church leaders died for what they believed in, including Peter and Paul, who are pretty much who we studied uh, in this class. So anyway, and then it's a thing to think about. We have about five minutes left. Any thoughts about Second Peter or Peter as a person? The letter P. I'm just gonna assume I did so great that no one has any thoughts. <laughs> cool. Well, next week it. Oh yeah. Peter's personality? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, at this point, he's 65 years old, roughly. We don't know that this is written in the 60s. But we believe it's written in the 60s. And you can, you can tell that he, uh, <coughs> he's not the impulsive, wishy-washy person that he was when he was a young disciple of Jesus, right? Um, 
you can tell that he's seen a lot and he's lived a lot. Um, and you can tell that he just he cares a lot and you can tell that he doesn't want people to make a lot of books expect to see another thing. He handles correction well. He handles correction well. He definitely handles correction well throughout his entire life. I I was struck by what he was saying about Paul. After Paul two hours. That's true. The fact that Peter and Paul remain tight, but yeah, yeah, they definitely clash. It's kind of like siblings, where it's like you can pick up, you can't pick up my brother, but I can pick up my brother. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that uh, in in response to thinking about how he changed, it's like he he truly understood the feed my sheep. Um, the focus, that's why I, I think that you see his focus not being on what he has accomplished and what he's done, but looking back to God, because ultimately what's going to nourish you is seeing the big picture and seeing um, that, that, that we're in the midst of something that God is doing. Yeah, for sure. It, I think it's all a God thing, because he's feeling short on time. It's, it's I, I need to get God's message out there ASAP before, while I still can. Yeah. You know, that that's interesting that, that people would say that, that Peter changed because I don't think he changed at all until Jesus confronted him on that beach in, in chapter 21 of John. Because remember, they were they were all in Jerusalem. Uh, and then who is it that says, I'm going fishing? That's it. I've, I've had enough. They've killed the guy. I've put all my faith in. I'm going fishing. And he goes back to Galilee, back to Capernaum, and Jesus confronts him on the beach and does the feed my sheep. And I think that changed. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the fact that the man that wrote First and Second Peter is the guy that denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, like, that's a, an incredible about face, the fact that, that he early in life, it goes to show that, yeah, he didn't let early mistakes define him. Um, that he was able to do something that would destroy many people, and, like, the shame that they would have for life. Um, that he was able to become a church leader so soon after that, and then write powerful words that were sitting 2,000 years later. Awesome. Well, next week is June. I looked this up like an hour ago. Is, is next week June? I, um, it's you. Is your dad, well, it's not June then. Okay. <laughs> so your dad and I had this fight Thursday night. So. It's Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote it and when it was written. It's just going to be fun. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm done for the semester, y'all. It's been real. No one else dies, so I'm done. <laughs>